You are listening to The Lift Mindset, where we provide an update from the experts. Today, we have Dan Thompson, Portfolio Manager at Lift Invest, and special guest Stuart Nyman, Investment Consultant. They will be answering frequent questions from our clients and also providing a commentary on current events within the market. Hey Dan, it's good to be back again. Lots to talk about on this episode. You're full-time working on these portfolios and talking to all the advisors and clients. Yeah, it's been a few months since we last spoke. There's still obviously volatility abound in markets. The short-term positive is that July did see some strong returns posted across the board. Despite headlines perhaps suggesting that it would be negative news, markets have actually rallied quite strongly. Just picking up on July and then we can move forward into the questions as we did last time. Last month, we saw the Bank of England raise rates once more. We raised rates by half a percentage point, which was very much expected. So now the Bank of England rates at 1.75%, and it's still expected to increase from here. But why, with that as backdrop, Stu, did you think that was additive to performance for the year? I think that we've reached a point in the rate rising cycle where the central banks are getting aggressive. We discussed it last time that inflation has proved not to be transitory and they've had to raise rates. So why then have risk assets done quite well? Well, generally, when central banks start to raise rates aggressively, it means they are fighting that demon inflation. And well, Andrew Bailey said it himself strap yourselves in for a potential recession. We're near the end of the rate rising cycle is essentially what's going on. And as a bond and macro guy, the bond markets are sort of telling that where the longer rates, we usually look at the 10 year is certainly in the US is lower than the two year. It's not quite the same in the UK, but rates are very close to those levels. So we are very close to a point whether you can argue whether it's another rate hike or another few rate hikes. We're close to a point where maybe we're, we're seeing the end of the rate cycle. In fact, in the US, we do look at the US a lot. Early next year, the market is looking at rate cuts. Whether or not they'll happen is a, a great debate, but we've got aggressive rate hikes. And I think that's the secret to why now we're getting this bit of bounce. It's very difficult and you never know where it might go. That's my answer, Dan. What do you think? The rate rising that's going on and what the sort of bounce in, in assets that we're seeing as well? As you've mentioned, it is to do with market expectations versus the rhetoric of the central banks. And we are now seeing a different rhetoric over in the States versus the rhetoric that we're seeing here in the UK. So you saw last Friday, the jobs report, which was expected to come out and confirm that around a quarter of a million jobs had been added in the US economy. And actually, the report came out and beat those expectations. So over half a million new jobs on the non-farm payroll figure were announced. That's put pressure on actually there potentially being a larger hike. And some of those fears have now turned. And that's been a slight hindrance to US market performance. Whereas here in the UK, we've seen Andrew Bailey come out and, and be quite firm and, and quite bearish in his sentiments around around what he thinks the economy and the, the economic situation will be in, in coming quarters. He now expects that inflation will peak at around 13%. Just last month, that was 11%. And the month before, that was 10%. So clearly, he's still concerned about inflation. He actually said that if inflation does persist at these high levels, then there's a chance that the UK will see five consecutive quarters of negative growth, which another way of putting that is five consecutive quarters of recession. That has spooked markets and the yields on bonds have, have come back down. But because yields have been falling, that's been helpful for risk assets, which has been the complete inverse of the story in the first six months of the year, when we saw yields creeping higher and higher and higher. We have got a question here that says, when will inflation get under control? We are recording this the day before the US releases their inflation figure for July. The last month's 
print was 9.1% and expectations are that tomorrow's figure will be 8.7%, it's expected to slowly move towards that target of around 2% or around 3%, which some are now saying is really the sweet spot from here on. It's unlikely to get back to 2% in a hurry, whilst, as I've just mentioned, the labour market and other aspects of the economy remain strong. We'll see tomorrow where that print goes. If it undershoots and if it does get back under control quickly, then that should be very additive to markets and, and beneficial for investments broadly, simply because then we don't have the spectre of higher and higher rates overhanging markets. I think it will be required really inflation to be substantially lower than here if we are to see those rate hikes which some are pricing into markets early next year, as you've mentioned, Stu. Do you any view on where inflation or interest rates will move over the next 12 to 24 months? Yes, I think that the central banks are fighting a lagging indicator, which is inflation, but they want to get their credibility back. What does that mean? It means they're putting rates up aggressively. They'll continue to do that through this year, maybe one more time, and maybe that's enough. Talk down the economy. What does that mean? I think Andrew Bailey doesn't want wage prices. We're getting a lot of pressure on wage prices going up, so that's what's going on out. But the outlook will be, well, we may get a soft landing, it's possible. The likelihood is it's period of recession. How long that'll be, don't know. But 2023 will be the period of when we're asking, OK, economy is slowing down. Inflation will be coming down very fast. We're seeing a lot of the commodities that went up a lot. Oil prices, another one. But food prices, etc. Lots of things coming down in price and a recession will also bring prices down. So I think that, that we will see a discussion of rates falling. The economy is being a bit slow and get on with cutting rates so that actually economies can grow again. So I think next year will be all about managing how big this recession will be, looking then for either second half of 23 and 24 to be back to a growth pattern. So the outlook is, yes, there's this period. There have been loads of rate rising cycles for many, many years. They end, inflation comes back down, and then we talk about back to whatever that new normal of lowering rates to get growth. It's in everyone's interests, central banks, governments to get growth going. They've got a lot of debt to pay down. They've got a lot of taxes that they can take in to pay for everything. That's why long term we've seen bull markets in equities. So I think, think we've just got to get through this period. The only question mark is how deep that recession will be. How would you see the outlook, the inflation indicators and growth and then markets over the next year or two or even medium term? The way that the yield curves have developed over this year, I do think that there is still some quite firm expectations of significant hikes going on, irrespective of the, the recessionary environment. And to me, that seems like a big question mark, really. And if Andrew Bailey is anywhere near right, then I would expect that we don't see the hikes that are currently priced in in some aspects of the market. And that should be beneficial even for low risk assets like bonds in portfolios. For many years, have seen quite low yields, um, but in the last few months, they've clearly picked up, which has been to the detriment of their prices. But from here, if we do see a weakening environment and, and lower expectations around interest rates, then that aspect of portfolio should perform quite strongly. Where do I see inflation next year? I mean, there's still so much going on. I don't think there were all that many people that predicted that Russia-Ukraine would continue and have this much of an impact upon global inflation outside of Europe. That's still one factor, but there's also the question marks around how strong labour markets remain. And if we do start to see some weakening and some rolling over there, which I do think that there will be a weaker labour market come, come points next year, that really would be the, the 
extensible straw that breaks the camel's back. And if we see that, then there may have to be a lot more spending and, and a lot more support by central banks, which again would would bring us back into the territory we saw in 2020 during COVID, where asset prices do relatively well, but the long-term implications may be more inflation. There is one topic which we haven't yet mentioned, which in the UK we've seen downfall of Boris Johnson's government, and now we're in the middle of fight of which politician, whether it's Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak, to replace him as PM. And they are coming at this economic picture from two very different situations, tackling the economy in, in two very different ways. Truss, who is more about that spending approach that you've mentioned, Stu, where they can use some of the country's earnings in the future to pay and bring that forward into consumption nearer term. Or you have firm hand on the tiller, which is Rishi Sunak, who is more concerned around continuing to be cautious with the purse strings and maintain a relatively balanced budget. Do you think that there will be much difference really when it comes to it, Stu, between whether Rishi or Liz comes in? And do you think that there will be any wider market impact depending upon who ends up in power? I'm minded to think of Dominic Lawson's comment who called Boris Johnson a cakeist, which is he wanted his cake and he ate it, essentially meaning he was just spend, spend, spend. So Boris was a a spending really like a Labour government. Rishi says he wants to be tight with the purse strings, but the whole time he was Chancellor, he was spending. And I'm always going to manana the cuts. So he's saying he wants to be frugal now. I would be tempted that that might happen if he becomes PM because he's now said he's going to try and do that. I think Liz Truss will be spend more and increase the debt a bit more. And I think Rishi would be spending less. But then it depends who the chancellor is and what tools they have available. So often with these things, we don't really know until they get there. Would you see any differences between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak getting in as PM? For the time being, markets are you know, betting markets because it's very difficult to have a, an investment market monitor on, on which will be PM. But in the betting markets, Liz Trust is now a firm favourite around 85%, depending on which bookie you look at. There's actually been a slight change to the initially announced schedule, which is in the great grand scheme of things, it's neither here or there. GCHQ actually contacted the Conservative Party and said that they had reason to be concerned around vulnerabilities in the voting process. And one of the outcomes is that they've changed the process such that now Conservative Party members can only vote once, which seems quite obvious that that should only be the way. Previously, it was that they were able to vote and then recast their ballot should their decision change. And it's widely thought that that will actually benefit Rishi right now because the markets are so much in favour of Liz Truss and as we move forward it's still going to be around a month until we actually find out who gets voted in. As time moves on then it's likely that the economic picture becomes a bigger question in the hustings and that may well end up favouring Rishi. People who may already, if it was on the initial system, may already have voted for Truss and thought no more of it. Everyone's holding onto their ballot papers that bit longer which may just mean that there is a a slight uptick in Rishi's favourability. Do I think that there will be any great impact? It will depend upon whoever comes in, 
how the economy performs under them, that will be the bigger impact rather than either approach being favoured broadly by markets. I think at this time, it does appear as if the, the economic picture in the UK might be quite bleak, which could favour either of them, if I'm honest. If it really is that bleak, then Liz Trust trying to move things forward and trying to spend her way out of it and, and avoid an extremely deep recession may well be the only way that prevents long-term scarring in the economy. But if it's a, a relatively shallow recession and Andrew Bailey's wrong in his forecasts, then I think longer term, markets would probably favour Rishi's approach, trying to make sure that the debt in the country is well managed. You know, that should mean that the currency, pound sterling, would perform relatively better in that scenario if Liz Truss was in power, who would likely have to be borrowing a lot more to fund her spending I've got a question here on markets. Other than energy firms, has everything else gone down this year? All the things I look at pretty much has gone down. And some individual stocks and securities and commodities have gone down a lot. There are plenty of technology stocks that are down, goodness knows, 75, 80%. I think it's one of those periods where almost everything you could have put money into has gone down and cash has been about the only thing that has not gone down. Is it one of those years where, apart from a few things, almost everything has gone down? There has certainly been a rotation away from a lot of the sectors which really underperformed in recent years. So you've seen the oil companies do very well. You've seen some infrastructure related assets do quite well. And because it has been quite a risk off environment, then you've seen safe haven currencies such as the dollar perform very strongly. But by and large, wherever you look in the bond market and the vast majority of the equity markets are all significantly down, particularly in those companies where their earnings either weren't realised yet and were expected to come in years in the future, or companies which have got a small amount of earnings now relative to their expected earnings, which some people were particularly bullish about in the coming years post-COVID and some of the changes that took place then. So Peloton, for one, roll back to 2020, you know, it was really a stock market darling when they were thinking one's going to be buying these bikes to motor on at home and that'll be a very strong long-term growth story it rose all the way to about 200 dollars a share today it trades at about 10 dollars. so that's clearly been one of the headline covid winners which has clearly fallen way back in this more recent environment with interest rates and the discount rate that that means that markets are prepared to discount future earnings at impacting them other stocks however like energy companies which in COVID, when we thought that economic growth was going to be very bleak and consequently in some futures markets, oil was trading negatively. They've actually done incredibly well this year, largely because of that inflation factor. And they ultimately are just commodity businesses which provide and supply oil. And as the price of that commodity increases, naturally their stock market values increase because not only is the oil they're supplying now worth more, but also the, the oil they have in the ground which they'll be taking out over the next X number of years, will also be valued more in the futures market. Broadly, it's, it has been negative throughout the whole year. But July, we saw many of those returns invert. So energy companies, because of the recessionary fears, performed quite poorly in July. Whereas we saw some of the growth companies, particularly in the US, because it's been earnings season there. A lot of the growth stocks beat the depressed earnings expectations, which have been factored in by markets and rallied as a consequence. There is a bit of a separation in markets at the moment between 
consumer facing goods companies and more service led businesses. And really those service led businesses are winning as the, the cost of living crisis is impacting people's pockets, then that's having a, a negative impact upon the earnings of a lot of the consumer related stocks. Another question here, why are cautious portfolios doing worse relative to adventurous ones in this falling market? That question has come a few times and we, we discussed that at length in the investment committee. You know, every crisis has slightly different reactions in different parts of the market. And I think this one, the reaction from the central banks is to move very short term rates up. And the more cautious portfolios tend to hold shorter dated assets. We have seen the prices of the shorter dated assets actually fall quite a long way. Having said that, you're always going to get slight differences. It's not going to be a straight line between the most cautious and the most adventurous portfolio. So you do get variations, especially in strange circumstances like we're seeing now. I would still classify it as a short-term phenomenon, short-term being a sort of a six months to 18 months phenomenon. And in the medium and long term, it will revert to normal. I mean, a short-term rates, they rise in a inflationary cycle and they can fall a long way in a recessionary cycle. So we could be having this discussion in a year's time and we'll see that the very cautious portfolios have done very well because rates have had to fall a long way again. So it's more to do with a short-term shape of the curve and rates rising quite quickly, which was something that was an unusual phenomenon, really. One question that keeps coming up, and I know we've discussed on the investment committee, is why the cautious portfolio underperformed the moderate portfolio? I wondered if you had an interesting answer to that one. So as we've mentioned already, a lot of it has been the short term rates in the market and the, the expectations that rates are going to have to rise rapidly. But at the same time, long term rates have, have barely moved. So a lot of the, the impact of, of rising rates now, rising rates means higher yields and yields and prices move inversely to one another. So as those yields have been rising, then price have been falling. And a lot of that has impacted the, the bond side of the market more than the equity side of the market. Hence, cautious portfolios in the short term have performed worse in some cases than more adventurous ones. As I also mentioned previously, that does, however, mean that the returns expectations from here do look quite favourable for not only cautious portfolios, but also adventurous ones, because that higher rate environment naturally impacts the discount rate of, of pretty much every asset. So that discount rate is the return that you would expect from taking different levels of risk. In the adventurous portfolios, you know, you're taking equity risk there and you'd expect a larger premium above what the returns on the bond market would provide you. So that means that adventurous portfolios over the long term from these levels should perform well. Also, cautious portfolios, despite performing poorly in the short term and falling heavily as the rates have, have risen so sharply, the yields that we're now getting even for relatively short bonds does look very attractive. So it's not to say that now there's better opportunity on one side, on the risk side or the, or the low risk side. I do think it will be fairly linear over the long term. But of course, that's not to say that there might be short term gyrations between different types of, of levels of risk outperforming others. Just as a final question, Stu, have you any comments on bigger themes that the investment committee has been discussing this year and whether there have been any discussions with the fund managers that you've spoken to um, regarding their outlook for the markets or, or economically? Yes, well, I think that what's been nice for all of us is to be able to go in and see in person and speak to a lot of the fund managers who are in the portfolios. We get first hand 
from them what they're doing, what they're thinking about. And also we get regular updates as well off email and Teams calls, etc. So we make long term decisions on the investment committee. And I think that you'll be able to see the little tweaks we tend to make at these times. But I think that we reaffirmed our long term view that sticking with the portfolios that we have and the managers that we have will in the long term perform really well. It has done beforehand. We're just going through a period now where performance is difficult, but we believe that that'll continue. We've made a few tweaks. We've had some managers who've been very good at moving from one asset into another through that time. They can act anytime, any day or night in markets. That's why we pick them, the ones that are very good at it. We took some defensive action on some of the, I would say, higher yielding bonds over the last few years, which has served as well. Again, we leave our managers to decide whether it's time to dip a toe into some that they think are quite good. So we're sticking to what we have. We've been surprised about the severity of the inflation. We're not surprised that the central banks have had to raise rates. We've been surprised they've taken so long to get there, which has cost a lot of money for a lot of people by them taking a long time. But it has been very difficult for them. It's been one of the most difficult periods in markets that I can remember, that a lot of us can remember. But it does look like we're towards the end of the tightening cycle and then I think that the discussion we have is what do we do if we have a longer recession? I think that we should expect a shallow recession, but what do we do if there's a longer recession? We meet quarterly in person, we have a monthly Teams call and so and we're constantly emailing each other. The discussion recently has been what could we do in those situations and also being fully invested. Our managers can still decide to hold cash in the portfolio, some do. It's their decision. I suppose now's a good time, Dan, to talk again about who's on the investment committee, what we're there to do. Do you want to answer that question, Dan? We've got eight members that sit on the committee, six of which have got votes. So three of us are financial advisors. They may well be your advisor. So Ross Blanfield, Neil Sadler and Johnny Housel. And then there's myself, Dan Thompson, Stu Nyman who's sitting on the screen opposite me. And then you have Joel Adams, who's our CIO and was co-founder of the business with Mike. So there's a lot of experience. Stu has managed fixed income money at BlackRock in the past. And I've been in portfolio management for a few different firms throughout my career. Joel has investment expertise and knowledge. That coupled with the, the financial advisors being on the committee to provide views and considerations from a client's angle. The committee meets regularly, as Stu's just mentioned. We do have some quite frank discussions around how, how performance has been and different views upon different assets. And perhaps at some point, as we've done in the past, take a slightly different view to the markets and will sometimes select assets which don't immediately seem in favour by markets and have been weak historically. But that doesn't always imply that they will be weak moving forward as an ongoing part of the process we are rebalancing through these markets that has, has aided returns because we've been buying back risk assets. As we mentioned in July, they recovered. So if it wasn't for the rebalancing, then performance wouldn't have been quite as good in July across the model range. We will, of course, continue meeting and continue sharing our thoughts and, and views upon the markets. Those views will propagate through to portfolios and hopefully we will continue to provide good performance for our clients. Thanks for that, Dan. Really enjoyed the talk today. I mean, these are very, very difficult conditions. We're trying to navigate our way through as best we can, but we stay positive for the long term outlook for all the portfolios. Thank you very much, Stu. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you have learned something new today from our experts. If you would like to find out more, please visit our website www.lift-invest.com or search for Lift-Invest on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Don't forget to like and subscribe to hear more from the Lift Mindset.